You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. We've done this for a couple records. We'll go in, play all the songs, and then split, and then come back the next day. If the song isn't ready that one day, we'll get it tomorrow. You know what I mean? We're not going to sit there and try and work on some part for an hour and a half that we're not getting. Skip it. We'll get it tomorrow. That way you just, you like, you get everything all at once. It becomes old and it becomes, you know, I'd wear headphones and we'd set up mics. So it's like you're eliminating the pressure of being in the studio because it becomes routine. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound, Telemedia, and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. And this Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter. They put on a bunch of killer shows all year long. Coming up on September 30th at M. Telus, they have Testament coming through town with Exodus and Death Angel, a true thrash adventure. It's going to be sick if you want to pick up tickets to this killer thrash event you can head on over to heavymontreal.com i've put the link to that website in the description of this podcast i'm very stoked to have heavy montreal behind the vox and hops metal podcast now before we jump into today's episode i'd just like to ask you to follow the vox and hops metal podcast on the podcast platform of your choice but more than that i would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast if there's someone in your life that just really enjoys craft beer well you should let them know that the vox and hops metal podcast exists you can tell them that there are over 360 episodes where i sit down with some of the world's best metal musicians and we talk all about their lives and music while sharing some killer craft beers if you would encourage one of your friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm very stoked to be with the original metal and craft beer monster, the one, the only, Dave Witte of Municipal Waste. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 365. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm back with Dave Woody of Municipal Waste. Dave, how you doing? It's been a while since we hung out for a bit. Yeah, I'm psyched. I've been looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. We, 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 it's, it's been too long. We, we hung out first time, heavy Montreal. It was hot as hell. It's goddamn hot here in Montreal right now. Here we are basically three years later, hanging out, talking about life, talking about music, talking about craft beer, talking about beer, all the things that I love. You just poured something out right there. Let's just jump into the thick of it. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music and craft beer. What what did you just pour yourself there, Dave? I poured myself a ripple in time by Private Press Brewing. Uh, do you know Brad Clark? Familiar with Brad Clark? I do not know. Uh, he was the head brewer at Jackie O's in Athens, Ohio for quite a bit and left and started his own private collecting club venture. This is a members-only beer club and the beers are super fantastic. I can't say how great they are enough. That's that's amazing. What style of beer is that? It looks dark. It's ominous. This is a, a Belgian barrel-aged quad blend it's it's you're you're the belgian king i know that about you because of our previous conversations so, so i went out and i made sure to grab um one of quebec's 
nicest uh, a wit beer, a Belgian wit beer from a a very cool new brewery. It's a, it's probably about two years old. La Petite It's uh, ran by metalheads. Uh, they used to play in a band called Burning the Oppressor. Some of the members uh, went off and then started this. Burning the Oppressor still exists, but David Berard is no longer a part of it because he's been putting all of his love and energy into this. Um, I wanted to get something Belgian to share with you, so that's what I'm going to be cracking. Uh, Dave, well, let's jump into the shittiest question that I'm going to ask you. Uh, it's only going to get more fun from here. Uh, how did you cope g- during the glorious years, plural, of 2020, 2021, uh, half of 2022, and hopefully not the rest of this year, and hopefully not any more years after this? How have you been dealing with these wonderful times? Well, uh, to go down the line, it was a lot of sitting around, a lot of drinking beer, a lot of home repair. I uh, learned a lot of skills that I didn't know I had or had the confidence to do, rather. That's a nice glass. You got to save me one of those. Hell yes, Dave. I'll bring you one when you come through Montreal. Sweet. Cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers to you. Other than that, lots of bike riding. Really? Uh, started running, completed a uh, small running program. <laughs> I had a lot of time, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you're you a know? busy guy. You're, you're used to playing drums with everyone and anyone and everyone and again with everyone and being out on the tour touring with municipal waste uh, extensively most of the time so everything was just put on hold so you had to keep uh, your hands busy and you don't want to just drink beer right so you, you no, had- yeah yeah you had to balance it out and the bike riding came in handy for multiple reasons it kept my mind and my body fit and it also checked i, I wrote a lot of music and recorded a lot of music o- over that time too besides the municipal waste uh that's another conversation for another time. But I kept very busy, and the bike riding really helped me dial all that stuff in, especially for the uh, Municipal Waste album. So bring it out on me, and I would listen to the demos over and over and over until, you know, I, like other things would start coming to me. I would be able to edit stuff out. And we, we all did that, and it was really beneficial to have the time to really focus on that and make adjustments as, as we went. Because when I'm on the bike... You have all this moving scenery, and you're going, and your brain's thinking about, you know, something completely other. That's how it works for me. My best ideas come when I'm doing something else. I don't know why. Is it like a liberating thing uh, because you're not as focused on the main thing? It's like your reptilian brain can 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 can. can. Yeah, yeah. I'm riding along, and oh, that, oh, wow, that thing just popped out at me. I could probably do this here, and it would sound better. Like my brain works like that. It's weird. Interesting. I like that very, very much. I love talking to. Vox and Hops alumni, you you are the craft beer king. When I started the podcast, everyone was like, you didn't have Dave on yet? Why didn't you have Dave on yet? Finally had you on. They were right. Craft beer king. The metal craft beer king. Uh, I'm fighting very hard to be the second one. The the, the prince. I think you're doing a damn good job. You're a squire. I love asking this question when I have people back on. Has your palate evolved at all? Uh, since the last time we had a conversation, obviously you're still deep into the Belgians. Uh, but what what else has changed since, let's say, three years ago in your craft beer evolution? I I, I refell in love with IPA. Really? Yeah. What 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 stemmed that? I don't know. You know, maybe uh, I can't put my finger on it, but it just popped out at me. I was like, oh wow, well, you know, you know what it was. I think I was discouraged by the amount of volume of IPAs that were being forced upon us and uh and the majority of them really weren't uh you know anything to write home about that being said i never ever want to talk trash on someone's brewing abilities or their level of, of beer making 
because people don't know what they're doing the first couple of years. They're going to figure it out. The beer's not going to be great right out of the gate. You know what I mean? Years later, it's going to turn into something great. So I, I always keep that in mind. I never bash a beer. But that being said, I think there was some that were made a lot better than others. And I really fell back in love, especially with the West Coast style. Mm-hmm. And then I, I you know, uh, I did fall back in love with the haze and the juice, too. <laughs> I do remember and you said exactly that to me. I don't make fun of people's beers. I don't like to bash beers. When we were at Heavy Montreal, uh, people can go back and research. I had given you a beer. And, and when we finished our chat, you're like, I don't want to finish this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you said to me right afterwards. But it is true. And I, I there was this fad at some time, probably when you fell out of IPA love, uh, when it was just, let's just be the most bitter thing that you can possibly put in your mouth. Yeah, and that's what I didn't want. <laughs> yeah, people might like that. That's great. Good for them. You know? Well, it's I feel like, like that, that's like a the, the, the highest IBU thing. It's a thing of the past now. People are much more into balanced approaches with beer. And yeah. I think that it had to swing completely in the opposite direction for a while for it to come back and be balanced because it went from being completely way too bitter to being far too sweet and far too juicy and far too hazy to having this balanced equation of what's happening now in the beer scene with an, like like the, the return of the West Coast IPA, which yeah. which is, is still not like a palace scraper. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the beer went through the, you know, it went through the Olympics. Uh, you know what I mean? We're going to make the craziest thing you've ever drank in your life. We're going to make the strongest thing you've ever drank. You know, we're going to make the sickest IPA, blah, blah, blah there. That the other thing. And then it came back around to, you know, to bloggers and pilsners and culches. 100%. And all that stuff. And what was really exciting, maybe we'll fall in love with that category as well. And then something really cool happened. They started lagering IPAs at a That's cool correct. temperature. That's cold correct. IPA, which is a <laughs> fucking great style. It's so cool. So they, 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 they go down old. really smoothly. That's for sure. Yeah, it's really, really nice. I think the first one I ever had was from Wayfinder, the, the relapse cold IPA. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the, the rage up here. You know that it's like a trend is sort of teetering out when all of the somewhat macro craft ones start making that style, you know, that it's already on its way out. Hypothetically for a while, it was the brood IPA and now it's the cold. Well, IPA. You know what? I really like that. Actually. Me I too. love the brood IPA, yeah. <laughs> the, the bread and the champagne esque, like super dry finish. That was my shit. I like that a lot. You got me hyped up now. <laughs> this is really killer. La, La Patiscaire, uh, a young brewery that have been killing it. Uh, just classic Belgians, classic European-style beers, Czech lagers. Uh, they're killing it. They're killing it. They're killing it. And uh, close to the venue? Uh, close, no. In the middle of nowhere, uh, okay. out in the boonies of Quebec, which I don't remember the name of the city, in Saint-Jacques, which is um, on the way to Quebec City, but on the North Shore. Love it, love it, love it. Let's dance into I never asked you all my classic questions, so let's just dig straight into it. Um, the soundtrack of your youth, when you were growing up in your parents or guardians' house, what music was playing? When you were not in control of the music, what music did your parents or guardians listen to? Oh, yeah, my dad listened to a lot of folk. Like, uh, I don't know, he had a pretty... My mom loved disco. Hmm. The summer, Michael Jackson, you know, stuff, Prince. I guess you know that borrows on the line of disco and rock. 100%. You know what I mean? Uh, my dad, The Doors, uh, uh, Bob Marley, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Dire Straits. He loved Mark Knopfler uh, and uh, Muddy Waters, big blues guy. Yeah, I, I learned a lot of stuff from my parents. You know, I, I, 
like I didn't get it right away, but it was just like burned into my head because they were listening to it all the time. So it's stuff I still remember to this day. Is there stuff that 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 you didn't understand when you were young, but now you go back and listen to it, and it makes more sense to you? Yeah, you know what? I'm constantly discovering stuff that I missed when I was younger, and it's amazing because it's all this amazing music out there that I, I skipped that I'm getting now, and I'm totally loving it. It's great. What, what was your parents' reaction to when you started mu- bringing music home? Oh, I got a couple stories about that. <laughs> you know, they were uptight about it for a minute. You know, when I found that Merciful Fate Metallica tape on the street and brought it home. And, you found it on the uh, street. Just, just. Yeah, yeah, that's how I got it in the metal. Dude, that's a story and a half. I've told that one a few times, but I haven't sent, uh, I don't think I've told it here. Uh, riding my bicycle, found a Max L cassette with Kill Em All on one side and Don't Break the Oath on the other. <laughs> $4 bills wrapped around it. You know, no one has money when they're a kid. So I picked it up. Oh, cool, a couple bucks. And I took it home and I was like, wow, what's this? Metallica blew my mind. And I, I, Merciful Fate was the closest thing to uh, that I considered true evil at that point. Scary. And my mother thought so too because she totally came in and told me to turn it off. Really? Was it the vocals? Is that. Yeah. That's just so interesting. <laughs> there were a haunting thing where he's like, you'll understand it. Where it's over and over. <laughs> It's like, no, I had never heard anything like that. She definitely had never heard anything like that. How, how did her acceptance, because I'm sure once you're in the rabbit hole, you're just you're just spiraling deeper and deeper into more and more heavy and more and more extreme things. I guess they just gave up or, you know, they, they figured like, okay, he's really into this stuff, you know, and like he's playing drums now and mm. and all that. And, you know, uh, uh, funny stories, my brothers were heavily into, my younger brothers were into hip hop and, and rap. Okay. And at that time, it was so was, exciting back then. The, the, yeah, yeah. The, not it that it's good. not now for anyone that likes hip hop and rap, and I'm not trying to throw shade at it. No, no, no. I loved, I loved a lot of the early stuff too, like Easy E and Ice Cube and, and NWA. All uh, that's Public Enemy. I love, I love all that stuff. But they listened to a lot of stuff I didn't necessarily care for. And we got into it at the dinner table once, and <laughs> I was like, Mom, you know, Mom, all their, you know, those, you know, their music. All they do is talk about killing people. And she looks at me and she goes. Yeah, and your fans talk about eating them, so you can't say anything. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the drums coming into the house. Uh, what, what, what was that mindset? Started banging on wood and blocks and all that stuff, and my uncle gave me a pair of sticks at one point, and, uh, you know, they got me a, a shit kicker kit, played ACDC constantly, <laughs> and then, you know, it just got more, you know, got went in Metallica, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, you know, Slayer. And then I played Rain and Blood every day for I don't know how long. <laughs> that's like, oh, that's what I want to do with my life when I heard that double bass fill. Yes. Yeah, that changed the whole game. Uh, how, how much work went into being able to finally do that? And do you remember the moment when you finally nailed it? Yeah, it was a lot of work. And I was very excited. <laughs> my neighbors couldn't stand me. <laughs> they brag about, about knowing you now, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, maybe <laughs> i'd love to hear about do you remember the first show that you went to go see i think the first show show my first concert was uh my first big concert was uh acdc uh and ingve malmsteen open up i think it was, i'm pretty sure i used to think it was uh for those about to rock because they had the giant cannons and stuff but i'm pretty sure it was flying the wall because i looked it up and that's who opened that day and then i saw it Ozzy and Metallica, you know, Master of Puppets when they did, uh, you know, Cliff Burton. And I saw Judas Priest a bunch of times. And I, But my first show show, 
was at in Rumson, New Jersey, at this place called the Underground, where I saw Ripping Corpse. It was Ripping Corpse, Pigs in Space, uh, Eternal Aggression, and, and some other band I don't remember. But that turned my whole world upside down. You were already playing at that point, though. Yeah, I was getting into it, but I was like, "Holy moly, these guys are these guys live a couple towns away yeah. from me, and they're better than anybody." It blew my mind. It like totally opened everything up for me. That's my first Circle Pit too. You go to the big shows, you see the big arena shows. It seems so out of reach at that point. But when you go to a small club gig and you know the guys are from a town over, it almost seems like I could do this. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. I think there there might have been one before that where I where I went to the Homedale Battle of the Bands, like I said, at a high school, mm-hmm. and Crucial Youth played. Really? Yeah, I remember they brought out the giant paper mache toothbrush and they were like it's time for the youth brush and they scrubbed the whole front rows maybe <laughs> i was in high school how about your first time on stage uh first time on stage probably uh well uh first time i ever played a show was for my friend's parents wedding uh, really? in a gar- we, were in, we were in a garage the band was called the remnants we were like ramones worship yeah but i think the first show i ever played on stage was my hardcore band well aware mm. And then final judgment right after that, and that turned into human remains. At, at what point did you, do you remember the first that first show? Do you remember being on stage? Do you remember being prepared? What, what, nope. what was your mindset? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "This is going to be awesome," and I totally overplayed because I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you remember that that moment in your mind, like an overplaying and being like, "This is this is too much," and I'm I'm fucking everything up. No, I, well, now I see it, you know, I'm like, oh man, what was I doing? You know, but I didn't know any better. You know, mm-hmm. I, was, I was trying just like beer. Like I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I started. One beer at a time, one roll at a time, one show at a time. Yeah. Yeah. You're a guy that gets called up to, to be replacing drummers, to, to fill in for people. Do you remember your first fill in gig? Uh, first fill in gig. Oh yeah. I think it was probably for Anodyne. <laughs> yeah, I played the. The second Hellfest when it was still in Syracuse, you know, not the, not the French one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that's when I was that was called Fury Fest, I believe, still. But uh, yeah, I played for Anodyne and I became great friends with Mike Hill. No, actually, it was Black Army Jacket because uh, they asked me to do a West Coast tour with them, and then I wound up joining the band after that. I love that. And how, how approaching learning someone else's material versus your own? How easy was that? Since you've been doing basically your whole youth trying to play other people's drum parts right yeah i mean it's okay but sometimes i get dealt a weird hand where uh people are playing some you know like in a style i don't normally play mm-hmm. so i readjust and i'm like oh yeah that's on threes instead of fours you know so i i tend to overanalyze some stuff and then sometimes i'm like oh i can't do it that way so i'm just going to do it the best way i can and then everyone everyone accepts that because it is important to have your own identity when you're in a band too, even if you're stepping in. When I did that Slayer cover for, for uh, Metal Injection, Frank called me up and he's like, "Hey man, you want you know do you want to do one of these things?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm thinking, cool, it would be cool to do ACBC song." <laughs> he's like, "How about a Slayer song?" And I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> all right, how about you know, you know, how about Epidemic?" <laughs> That's like I, I dug my own grave with that one, and I got nervous about it. Because I can't play just like Dave, no one can. So I just did it my way. It's, it's the only way you can do it. And shout out to um, Frank for putting together all those sleigh at homes. They were so damn cool. That was amazing. Yeah, what a great guy. Such a cool thing to do for the music industry and everything during the pandemic to keep people connected, keep people busy and, and having little challenges just, just and deadlines. 
made us feel a little bit more normal. Yeah, it made me uh, it made me work on some things I've been you know I could have used some improving on, so it was beneficial every way possible. Absolutely. Let's talk about Electrified Brain. Just came out July first via Nuclear Blast. Uh, a big record, a fucking banger of a record. Uh, you guys reconnected with Arthur Risk. Uh, you guys like basically did not hang out the whole pandemic because you guys are all spaced all over the place. And then you finally get all together to record this record after being apart for a year. That was probably the longest you guys have ever been apart. Yeah, I mean, we started trickling into the room one by one and then two and then three, you know, kind of built up our, you know, like our immunity or, you know, immune system or something, you know what I mean? We were doing one-on-one for a bit, you know, with different guys. And, you know, we took our time. Then we pulled it all together and went and went in there. Then we were like, when we go to do a record, I, I go in every day for like a month or two. You're just a part of everything. Or you're talking just for drumming. Yeah, I go there and play everything every day. So it becomes wow. old. Totally just digesting it and then ripping it apart and then redigesting yeah. it. That's the thing, though. You know, for me, and we were, we've done this for a couple of records. We'll go in, play all the songs, and then split, and then come back the next day. Like, if that song isn't. If the song isn't ready that one day, we'll get it tomorrow. You know what I mean? We're not going to sit there and try and work on some part for an hour and a half that we're not getting. Skip it. We'll get it tomorrow. That way you just, you like, you get everything all at once. It becomes old and it becomes, you know, I'd wear headphones and we'd set up mics. So it's like you're eliminating the pressure of being in the studio because it becomes routine. Absolutely. And it also is an interesting tactic that, that younger musicians should actually learn when when you can't get something not to focus on it to obsess about it because you oh, will yeah. get it the next day and there's yeah. nothing worse than eyes on you even if it's a loving bandmate yeah, it becomes stressful so stressful <laughs> yeah, and then you know then stress really gets in the way because you wind up making mistakes mistakes and then you get mad and it's like totally counterproductive it's, it's not worth it so play this play the set and then see you guys tomorrow that's super cool. I, 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 and, and you do that for a month, all of you guys. Yeah, me a little bit more. I'm a weirdo when it comes to that. I want to go in there and be really relaxed. I want to be the parts to be mature. I think it's so fucking cool. Something else you guys did that was super cool that I noticed was you are like to collaborate with the same people for the videos that you're doing, for the artwork, for many things. Uh, Cabrera, Musquette, uh, two videos, people that you've worked with before. Talk to me about working with people in your crew and keeping them in the crew and working with them again. We're comfortable with them and they do a good job. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. that's, the two most, that's the two most important things. Like they understand us, you know, Rob and Allie, we've done like four, four or five videos. Or I can't count. There's probably four or something like that. We've done the cute few with them. And Norman, Norman's like the nicest, most professional gung ho, like, like madly in love, passionate, about the whole thing from beginning to end, from infancy to birth to finished product. It's unbelievable what he has in his head and how he's able to conduct it and orchestrate a whole room full of people without breaking, getting excited, like excited, but not never getting mad or losing it or anything like that. It's amazing. It's important to collaborate with people that, that are a part of the family. Yeah, Dave and Allie are so laid back too. It's it's amazing. And then uh, Pierre, who just released another video today, the animated one, Grave Dive. That guy's amazing. He's my superhero. That guy. <laughs> I loved your cutoff, and I love this one even more. 
I love animated videos, and that guy nailed it. I think it's important that what you guys have such a strong work ethic, cramming it into the studio, smashing it out, but yet you're a party band. I think that's that's like a like a good beer balance. Yeah, <laughs> the, the party party band, party anthems, but yet you're putting in so much work to get them perfect. I think it's a curious thing. <laughs> I know I know that sounds funny. You know what I mean. But when when it comes down to the music, you know, we're a lot more serious than people think. That's that's the point I'm trying to get across. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's that shit's finally woven. You know what I mean? We spend a lot of time on that, and we talk about all the things we're passionate about, from monsters to robots to beers. To, you know, like comics. You know, touch on real life issues and and all that. Uh, but it, first and foremost, it's completely about fun and challenging ourselves writing the music that we like to play. Here you are now. You know, the pandemic is opening up. You get to promote this album properly. Massive tours coming up. I just skimmed just a few upcoming stuff you guys got coming. It's just so Very damn exciting. cool. At the gates, um, a small band named Anthrax. Uh, just just unbelievable. If you can go back in time and, and tell you, whisper in your ear that you're going to be doing stuff like this, would you have believed it? Nope. A persistence of time, maybe. <laughs> Bad joke. I know. Uh, <laughs> Anthrax, nicest dudes. We just saw them a few weeks ago. We played Summerfest together in Milwaukee. And, you know, being out in the crowd, you know, watching them when those songs come around that you were in love with when you were a kid, mm -hmm. I still get excited and pumped on it. Like, all right, they're playing that song and it's still good. So <laughs> I got 40 days of, of that coming up or close to that or something like that. So there's a lot of days and I couldn't be happier. And at the gates are the nicest dudes ever. We've done a tour with them. We've done a lot of shows with them. So uh, I'm really looking forward to reconnecting with those guys. And Slaughter to Soul is easily one of my favorite records. So Hell yeah, me too. Love it, love it, love it. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsins? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. I would like to talk about fighting the hops. You mentioned a little bit earlier, you started biking, you started running. Uh, you also have a vegan restaurant. This is not something that I speak about very often, but I speak about it sometimes when I know that I have it in common with the guests. I, I am a vegan also, and I really do think that the only thing that's saving me from not becoming as big as I probably could uh, with the delicious craft beers that I do enjoy is, is the... The fact that I'm vegan, I think, I think it helps me a lot. Uh, talk, talk to me about opening um, Hang Space. Is that how you fight the hops? Is that a part of the secret? Is it really the cardio and everything? What, what, what is the secret going on here? Well, uh, you know, 
going plant-based or vegan was good for me. Uh, it changed my body. Uh, I perform better. I feel better. And this is me. I'm not, I'm not on a soapbox trying to tell everyone what they should do and when they shouldn't do because I don't think that's right. This, this is what works for me. I'm happy with it. So that's why I chose to pursue it. I'll give you the example, especially veganism and beer. Uh, when we went to, when you know, I stopped eating meat a while ago, and, and I finally committed to getting rid of dairy uh, in 2019 before we went to Europe. And Scotty had gone vegan as well, so I had like a buddy. You know, it was it's so it's, helpful. It's cheese and all that's to get in stuff so good. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we did good. We didn't, you know, we did it. Didn't eat any dairy. And, uh, you know, we like beer a lot. We drink a lot of beer, and there's a lot of really good beer over there to drink. So I'm not going to not drink it. We drank just as much beer as we normally do. And within three uh, three weeks, I came home 11 pounds lighter. Wow, just okay. Just from eating, not eating dairy. That's I crazy. I drank just as much beer. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't curb the beer at all. The only thing was to stop was eating dairy. So that was good for me. And then my body balanced back out. Uh, here's something important that probably a lot of people don't talk about first couple weeks i felt like you know i felt like superman i felt incredible next six months i felt really great my body balanced out you know everything was working right i felt better had more energy then i then my body took this like dive for like almost a year yeah because i wasn't getting the nutrients i was used to i guess my body was going through like a withdrawal or kind of shock from, you know, just cutting all that stuff out drastically. And then, you know, I figured out how to eat right, you know, more greens and, and vitamins and stuff like that, stuff I was missing. And, and then I and then I balanced back out. Talks about having hang space, opening up a vegan joint. That's another thing comes down to touring. You know, I get to try so much awesome stuff when I go out on tour. And it's so easy to eat vegan now because it's, you know, so many more options are so more ready and available and I love it. Absolutely. I've always wanted to, you know, I've always loved food and I always wanted to do something. So we started the truck, like to have that going while I'm gone. And then when I come back, I'd work on it too. And then, uh, you know, it just got too, too hot, man. Like, a, <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> think it's like 200 something degrees at the breweries on the blacktop. It got heat exhaustion a bunch of times and, you know, April got pretty sick. So uh, we went in with a friend of ours to get a commissary to work on that stuff and, and her, her vegan thing as well, our partner. And then we just decided to do hang space. Everything I see up. looks delicious, honestly. It's fun. It's like a bridge for meat eaters into the, to the vegan world. That's like the most easy way to put it. It's fun, comfort, fast food. Can't wait to swing through there and to actually try some. I would be very excited to do that. Um, being vegan, craft beer, it's easy, but they love this lactose. <laughs> you know, I've had a couple oat IPAs, and they're amazing, oat milk. Absolutely, yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I'm psyched on that. I had somebody give me one somewhere in the Midwest, and I was like, whoa, you know, this is amazing. You can do this without without actual milk sugar. It's coming up here. I'm seeing some of those pop in, in Montreal now in the area. So, so uh, maybe a future Vox and Hops collab will have some of that, maybe. Because yeah, I've been trying to, yeah. I've sort of put my foot down with my collabs and no longer putting lactose in it. Even if the brewer's all about it, I'd, I'd rather just 
not have it because yeah go the oat milk route They're, the ones i've had have been fantastic yeah i had it at a, at a kuma's corner someone poured it for me there and it was a brewery from milwaukee or minneapolis one of the two um is that something that you were ever into, the, the whole lactose and beers? Is that something that would ever... They don't really do that in, in Belgian style in it's the first place. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I understand why people do it, and it's cool. But I never understood it for IPAs. I thought it was weird. Uh, and, like, stouts, I stouts it would make a little bit more sense to me. But, you know, if you can make a great beer without it, why put it in it? <laughs> you know <laughs> I don't get it with the smoothies. They, they do it up here all the time. They make a great smoothie, and then they throw in lactose. Why? I don't get it. It's sweet enough as it is in the first place. Why do you need to put the milk sugar for the creaminess? I don't I don't get it. Yeah, it's not for me. <laughs> um, you are, Biking, running also falls into this next thing. I've been doing this whole segment about mental health. Um, what do you do when you're not feeling well? Uh, how do you cope? Um, what tactics do you use for yourself? When you're feeling down in the dumps to make yourself feel better, you mentioned biking, you mentioned running before. I'm wondering if there's anything else. I imagine playing drums is another one. Uh, how, how, how do you cope with your, your, the darkness, let's say? Uh, drinking beer is, is dead dead last. Yeah. In all those. But yeah. uh, biking, running, swimming, you know, getting out, driving around, you know, uh, walking around, drumming to really heavy stuff where I like hit stuff as hard as I can. So I felt like I better have a workout. You know, it's tough sometimes, man. You know, I hit the bottom a few times when we were, when we were not. You know, I'll be honest, it was tough sometimes, and I, I wasn't alone. A lot of people went through it. It was the shittiest roller coaster ride I've ever been on in my life. Ups and downs, like everything was, you know, up in the air, and you didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, so yeah, so I, I was pretty miserable a few times, and, and luckily I had the bike and all that other stuff to turn it around. Sometimes you just got to force yourself to go do it, or you're not going to do it. You're going to sit there and stew in it, and it's only going to get worse. But it's re- then again, it's really hard to to push yourself to get up and do it when you're not feeling like it. So it's a you know, it's a uh, like a tightrope situation. But the benefits being, after being active, after you get out the door, healthy body's a healthy mind. I I think. And I do think it's interesting that you put drinking as the last thing. Yeah, it's fun for escape. If you're with friends, you don't see for a while, and you're hanging out and stuff. But if if I'm feeling bummed, I'm not going to escape into a bottle on my couch. It's counterproductive. I love drinking beer. Drinking beer is a fun thing for me. It's a social thing. I love tasting beer first and foremost, and I love enjoying it with friends. Like opening a bunch of weird beers I never had before. Everybody, you know, cracking shitty jokes, having a good time. I'm in. By myself on the couch, I'm out. <laughs> well, if you feel like one of your friends is in one of those dark places, what what is your move? What is your tactic? What is your the way? Hey, let's that, go to the movies. Let's go do something. The movies is, is is the the first thing that comes to mind. You invite a friend to a movie. Yeah, we're gonna see the movies. We'll go out on bikes. Like I've 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 got people out on a bike a few times. Taking changing their mindset, pushing them into that. Yeah, or I just start talking a bunch of nonsense, stupid jokes, and everything. Kind of like flip it. <laughs> sometimes it, that's hard to break through that crack through that wall sometimes though it is it is but if you're a good friend you can get there and you can always sense when your friend is not doing well so it's important to yeah, reach out like, to them and, and not just reach out to them but like really actively get them out yeah you give them a big hug and you're like dude you're bumming me out come on i'm very lucky i have the podcast it keeps me very busy uh throughout the whole pandemic i get the same sort of like vibe right before i sit down yeah, here you talk to a lot of people 
Yes. Um, <laughs> and right before I sit down, I'm always worried, is the internet going to work? Am I prepared enough? Am I going to say their name right? Uh, it's how I get this sort of like feeling of when I was about to jump on stage, how I've been filling the void of performing. How did you fill the void of performing, that feeling of being on stage throughout the pandemic when you couldn't perform? Writing. Writing music and then... Uh, uh, What's uh, doing those uh, doing those pandemic videos? I did I did three of them. I did one with Braun. We did new presents for Christmas for uh, two minutes of late night. The Slayer one I was just telling you about with Frank, and then we did a Cardiacs one with Sean from Trial Brighton called me up and he asked me if he wanted to do it, and that that was crazy. It was like me, him, Bruce Lamont, like Shane from Napalm Death, one of the guys from the Cardiacs. A couple other guys too. Uh, the accordion player from Norway, I forget his name. Uh, my buddy Power Dave playing the, you know, all the percussion. That that was a lot of fun. So you can get everybody roped into projects like that, and you keep their mind on performing. Kind of lessens the blow of not being able to do go out. You know. Absolutely. You, you mentioned that you wrote a lot during the pandemic. How do you approach writing for different projects outside of Minnesota Ways? How do you have an identity as a drummer for each project? Well, I always ask for riffs first so I can hear what they're, what they're thinking. And then I, I'll, I'll usually have like three or four ideas put to that riff. To each specific riff, and then you present yeah. it to the band? or Yeah, and if it works, cool. And if it doesn't work, we can change it. And Wow. And then I like getting in a room and, and like, well, what, you know, like kind of redirecting certain things well what if you you know did it this way instead kind of steer it a little bit so the drums will more complement it and sometimes i'll just write a beat and go hey put something in this you know i have like this weird rolodex of audio rolodex but by doing so many things over the years with so many different musicians i'm able to, to pull stuff off in different uh musical situations where I'm, I'm like, oh, you know, maybe that'll work in this one five, ten years later. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of cross-pollination eventually. <laughs> so it's, it's me doing my thing, and it's just a different, in a different environment. I love how open you are, though, to presenting four different ideas for each riff to a band or to whoever you're collaborating with. And, and it's, it's, it's a bit, no ego, almost. Yeah, some of them, you know, some of them might not work. Some of them will You know, I could have this idea in mind that they totally didn't even think of. Mm-hmm. Especially if you present it differently, it might spur a different creative aspect on yeah, their yeah. side of things, too. I always try to have three or four beats for one riff to see what sticks and what, what oh, well, you, like you said, maybe another idea will stem from that. And then, you well, you have an X part, maybe, or, you know, a leading part or a bridge or something like that. So interesting. So interesting. I love it. Uh, back to beer. But before I, that, I want to give a shout out to Andrew Garrity. I know you're listening to this. I know I he's going to listen. I love that love guy, that too. Man. So I just want to, I have to say, sh shout out to Garrity, because I know you're listening to this episode, because you're... Cheers, Garrity. Cheers to Garrity. <laughs> Back to beer. Uh, you've released multiple, multiple collabs, almost as many as me, but um, they're, they're knocking at your door as opposed to the opposite, where I'm knocking on their doors. So it's a little bit cooler. Uh, Cigar City has made you beers, uh, Three Floyds, Nishami Creek Brewing. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few. Um, is there a new collab in the works? Is the, talk, talk to me about that, please. The next beer that we're making is with Three Floyds, and it's, 
It'll be a super crushable lager called High Speed Steel. Yes, perfect, perfect. It'll come out, it'll come out in August. I'm really hyped on it. Uh, it was based on the... <laughs> I was tell, talking with Chris about it a lot back and forth. It, uh, based on it, like, he sent me some Speed Castle, which is the lager they made, and it was really great. It's, it, it's brewed after the the uh, Speedway gas station that has a white castle in it, like right around the corner from the brewery. <laughs> so they named it Speed Castle. And he knows I'm a white castle freak and he's into it too. Amazing. So I got that and I was like, oh, this is really good, man. Let's, you know, let's base, let's do something like this, but sicker. Well, so sicker meaning, uh, I think it laid down twice as long, twice as long. I think it was lager for like two months or something like that. And that's a, that's a commitment for a commitment for the waste. I like that. A little drier, maybe. But uh, yeah, I love that beer. And I want something like this. You know, I didn't want to rip it off, you know, and have an identical recipe, but in that ballpark. And that's where those guys take over because those guys are masters at their own craft. So you give the ball to them and they take it to home, to home base. You know what I mean? It's the way to do it. It's exactly how I do it. I have never brewed a beer in my life. I have lots of ideas of what works and what I like. But I have, I know how to brew beer, but I've never actually brewed one. Have you ever brewed a beer? Have you done a beer yourself? Yeah, I've, I've done a couple. I've did homebrew once, and uh, I tried to make a stout, and it turned out as a porter, and I entered it in some contest, and people said it was good, but I never kept up with it. Uh, in the beginning, I, I brewed a bunch of beers with Gene over at Tired Hands, and, and that was a lot of fun. Like, I mean, he's, you know, he's the real brewer. I'm not. I was just throwing stuff in the tank. You know what I mean? Same. I, I've, I've done that for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then I helped went went out and helped make uh, the first uh, the first waste beer with with Chris over Floyd's. I went and brewed that one and poured everything in the tank and all that shit, which was really good. That was a good exercise. And then I helped make the uh, the Ardent Destruce uh, Power Stout collaboration at Ardent, and that was Jerome came over and stayed with me, and we went and made a beer at Ardent, and it was that beer was awesome. That's so damn cool. Uh, craft beer king still happening i love it very much uh dave thank you so so much one last question i don't think i asked it to you i probably asked you when we did the thirsty thursday hang together but we did not record that so let's ask it again classic vox and hops wrap-up question uh it probably doesn't happen to you very often because you're the the metal craft beer king and you know how to do things and you're busy and you're running and you're biking and you're writing music for a bunch of projects you you play the full waste album from front to back for a month straight in studio but every once in a while it happens to everyone what is your hangover cure my hangover cure it used to be a cheeseburger (laughs) but i mean if you're going to get down to it a bloody mary or another beer if you can stomach it, that's the way to go, man. You want to get up on you want to get up on that wave and then coast it up. <laughs> like if you feel really shitty, another beer is the way to go. I know that's not the most healthiest advice, but that works. Kombucha's also really good. Kombucha's also really good. Kombucha's really good because it's very, very, very low in alcohol, and I think the acidity and the the, uh, uh, the ferment fermentation is similar to a beer, but. It's more healthy, if, if anything. Yeah. I, I like that. I oh, like and that. B12. B12. B12's really, B12 great for hangover. Really? Okay, that's interesting, yeah. that one. Yeah, dissolvable B12. It marks wonders. Really? Okay, that's interesting. I do take those, but not for hangovers. <laughs> Dave, thank you so, so much for hanging out with me again, talking about your life, talking about music. The most important part, 
Make sure you drink enough water so you don't get hung over. The master. The master has spoken. Dave, thank you so, so much for hanging out with me, talking about your life, music, and craft beer. This was an absolute pleasure. Can't wait to hang out with you soon. Um, it's going to happen soon, and I'm looking forward to it. Montreal, absolutely. Cheers to you, Dave. Thank you so much. Cheers. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an awesome, awesome conversation. I love hanging out with Dave. We actually had the chance to hang out face-to-face when he came through Montreal a few weeks ago with At The Gates and Enforced. What a killer night that was. Super stoked to hang out with the original metal and craft beer man. Uh, He's introduced me to countless people, and he's still doing it. Dave, you're a monster. I love you to death. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast's mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. When you do that, you shall receive two emails a month that contain all of the details of everything that has been happening recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You'll get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You'll get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently. You will also get to hear about any projects that I have in the works. Before I announce them to the public, and you'll get to see which albums Jerry Monk, the metal architect himself, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. There is just so much going on in the world of the Vox and Hospital podcast. I don't want you to miss a single thing, so please sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hospital podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer rest of the week. I will be back next week with another brand new Heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops episode on Tuesday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.